What does it mean to be the child of a father working in the Indian Army? In this episode, Vikram shares his family's and his own stories of migrating within India and how these experiences prepared him for his life in North America. I'm Fumi, this is Hashtag Our Racism, and this is the story of Vikram. My name is Vikram, and uh, I live in Toronto, Canada. I'm a first-generation immigrant residing in Canada. I'm a Canadian citizen now. You know, I'm from an Indian origin, uh, as my name suggests. I was born and raised in India. And when people ask me or about me, I think the uh, toughest question to answer is often the most, uh, I think, simplest one for most people, which is, uh, you know, where are you from in India? Right? And and I, I think, and I would say, to answer that, I have to go back in time a bit, right? So maybe if I start with my uh, maternal grandparents, my maternal grandfather and grandmother, they were from the south of India, from a state called Andhra Pradesh. And they moved to West Bengal, where, you know, essentially it's a state in the northeast of India where they speak Bengali. The culture is different. Uh, they sort of moved or rather migrated to a city called Calcutta or Kolkata, as it's called now. And uh, they sort of got acclimatized to this whole new place. My mother was actually born in Calcutta, Kolkata. And uh, she then was raised for a little while there with her siblings uh, and my grandparents before they decided to move her down south for better education. And as families were back then, my grandparents had a lot of kids. And so interestingly, my mother was the youngest of them. And uh, she then went on to stay with her oldest brother, who's also the oldest in the family. And he had four daughters and they were all in the south of India in a in the state of Tamil Nadu, in a city called Chennai. And uh, for better education for her, they decided to send her to the south. And of course, you can imagine taking care of that many number of kids is going to be difficult financially as well, right? So she moved out of that household, moved down south, moved with her brother who already had four daughters. So they were now five. They almost lived like five sisters. And so interestingly, if you think about it, language and culture wise, she was a Telugu speaking person because that's the native language this, you know, that's a, of Andhra Pradesh, right? And that was her mother tongue, as they call it. And she was born in Kolkata, Bengali speaking atmosphere, then moved to the south to Chennai, which was again a different, you know, different language, Tamil, and again, completely different culture. And uh, so, you know, when I look back, the immigrant gene is already there in me through them. You know, it's sort of almost passed on. And, and it gets very interesting because, you know, she grew up in Chennai. She studied there. And eventually, after having completed her education, she, she then decided to get married to this man, my father. And then they moved out of Chennai. So that was, you know, and I think that's where they both met. And they decided that it was time to move to a new place. And I think it was a good segue to then talk about my father's side of the family, because if you look at my father's side, my paternal grandfather, if I go back in time, was a doctor in the British army, because India was then a British colony. 
and he was uh, from again from the southern part of india and so was my grandmother both were very young when they got married they had their first three kids in quick succession my grandfather interesting i have always so he he passed away when i was maybe 3 years old and every time he spoken of i've i've always been in awe because you know you hear these amazing stories he was a very strict disciplinarian and he had his um he had his quirks and his stories are just very fascinating to me i wish that you know he was around uh, as i grew up to actually hear from him directly but you know uh, he was a very simple yet very interesting human one thing that i always felt and you could say that i'm sort of almost diving deep into this topic of you know racism but i have always wondered how he would have felt being part of the colonial force as an indian because you know you're an indian but you're part of the british army and then he would have to look at and treat british soldiers as his patients so i'm sure he would have witnessed a lot of racism during that period from both the colonizers right and from the people who were colonized because if you think about it you're still an indian who's working for the british army in the eyes of the british but then from the indian standpoint you're that person who's now part of the british army so you know that perspective and to have that is is it's quite amazing you know and and what he would have had to endure in fact i have a very interesting story when he was a prisoner of war and this story has been told like so many times in my family and every time i hear it i get goosebumps and this is the story when he was a prisoner of war during world war 2 when he was part of the british forces and he was taken as a prisoner of war in japan and japan had been defeated and you know the news for those that had been imprisoned uh, wasn't very good right uh, it wasn't looking good and so my grandfather before of course you know the war broke out and he wasn't very keen on sort of doing this journey but he had to and he had to because he was a doctor and you know when in war there are casualties right and you have to take care of patients and you have to go right and you got to take care of them so he was part of this he was one of these forces that went and they got imprisoned and so even during even in prison i, I you know heard that he would take care of all the wounded soldiers right even wounded japanese soldiers right because he was a doctor and um, eventually when they lost japan you know like i said wasn't good for the prisoners and so him and his friend they decided to flee like all sort of prisoners of war are supposed to right and as they fled they, of course you know there were a lot of atrocities along the way and they managed to get onto the ship which was sailing back to india and imagine i mean you would be relieved that i'm finally going back but what happened was that when he was on that ship and they sailed back to india and you would think that you know he would be welcomed but what happened was that he was stopped in kolkata because you know it was the ship sailed from japan to kolkata he was stopped there by the indian national army or by of subhash chandra bose right because he was part of the british forces so an indian was part of the british forces stopped by the the international army in india to say hey you cannot go back home and he was stuck in kolkata for quite a long period before he could make it back home and so when i hear this story and i've heard this so many times in different parts of the story has um, 
made me think different things but that part of the story i've never understood and I, that's when i realized that even if you're from the same country you're the same people right and what is it that makes you have this feeling of or what is it that drives this lack of empathy right and then i realized that almost every human has ingrained in them right this feeling of us versus them it's always there in some form or the other it could be deep it could not be deep but you know it is always there and i, and I always feel like the faster that feeling goes away you know better for human kind so going back to my story so after having three kids my grandfather went back and of course you know they decided to have two more my father was also the youngest in his family and he was born in vishakhapatnam again in the southern part of india vizag as they call it in india and he then was there for some time before they again immigrated again to hyderabad which is not too far away like my mom had to make a pretty long journey my dad was shorter again within the same state i would say and so he then was raised in hyderabad and uh, he grew up there and if i sort of fast track that story a bit he then went on to serve the indian army as an officer and he in fact carried on the legacy of my grandfather i would say in a way right of being part of the forces and he served the army for 30 years before he retired and yeah so i think uh, in a way i always when i when i hear back these stories of these journeys my my family's had you know small ones pretty large ones i almost feel that uh, that i was i was destined to be an immigrant you know and i think uh, we uh, was born in a country where we see a lot of immigrant population as well and i think everyone's had an interesting history that way so going back to my father my father's job was transferable which means you know because in the army you've got to move from one base to the other you know you're posted out every i would say two to three years right you're almost changing places changing states uh, and india as you know is a diverse country it's like multiple countries in one every state has its own language culture and so when you know we moved within the country it is exactly how an immigrant would feel in a new nation there's no difference you would have to adapt each time Uh, make new friends and understand new dialects and you need to be subject to certain criticism so i you know if you look at my journey in india like at least based on what my parents tell me i was as uh, soon as i was born in chennai because my mom decided to go back home to have me and then as soon as i was born we immediately moved to the northeast part of india where my dad was posted in you know in a place called gangtok in sikkim and they tell me that their house was even though these were these were quarters given to army officers by the army right because these were built on top of a hill and sikkim is known for its rainfall i used to be a i used to be months old and the roof of the house was made with asbestos sheets and every time it rained it felt like someone was hammering something hard almost on your head it was so loud and so they had to almost you know figure out ways to make me sleep and not hear that sound and i think over a time over a period of time my mom said oh you know you you slept well but i thought maybe that was white noise for me you know and so grown up in a place like that you know and then having to move to various other places 
I think my distinct memory, if I remember, because my, you know, I've moved a lot of places after that. I was in the West, but I think my my memory sort of of, of me and being in places, I think, really started when I think it was five or six. Uh, I remember being in the south of India, and then we moved to again back to the northeast for again another three years, different language, everything, and then moved to Punjab which is at the north of India, stayed there for two years, then moved to Himachal Pradesh, which is again further up north near the Himalayas, almost four years there. I would say formative years, you know, I was also going through my, my puberty. So there was all of that going on. And then moved down south again to Chennai, where my dad served for three years. I lived there before finally moving back to Hyderabad, which is my hometown. So when you go through so many changes, you realize that you're you're a nomad. So as kids, my brother and I, my younger brother, he would, you know, we would always get to a new place, get accustomed to it, and then just when we're about to be making good friends, maybe even for life, but I would say, oh, it's time to pack our bags, you know. And you know, at that time, we would sort of find it fascinating and you know you would be excited to see new places as kids what do we know right but in hindsight when i look back it came with its challenges and you know now if i look back i'd always think about why did my friends say that or why would they react this way to us right and i think language plays a big role i, I always feel that language plays a very very big role in, in an immigrant's life and in race in general. People often talk about the color of your skin when they talk about racism, but I think language plays a bigger role. Like for example, in this journey of mine, I was always very comfortable with my with the national language Hindi. But when I spoke, people knew I wasn't a local, right? Who would speak Hindi? And they would ask me, where are you from? You know, how can a person from the south of India speak Hindi so well? And some people would sort of not even believe that I'm from the south of India. Or some people say, no, you, you're an East Indian, right? And so appearance had changed, right? So because you've traveled and you've seen so many different things in life, you've felt so many different things in life, your appearance has evolved as well. You know, the way you look, the way you speak, that has changed. And so you've become this sort of a, a curiosity for people. And uh, I think what happens is, and I've seen this, I've seen this from the time I've grown up, now realizing what it was, is even as kids, you, in India especially, right? Especially from the kind of schools I've studied. So I always studied in Kendra Vidyalaya. So this, these are central schools, and they're meant for those folks who whose parents are, are central government employees who have transferable jobs. So if you go to a normal school and if you try and get an admission in the middle of the year, it's not easy. But for central government employees, because they know their jobs are transferable, they can get transferred at any time, especially folks in the army. The central schools were the only place who allowed you to get admission in the middle of the year in the school without any caveats. So if I started my ninth grade in a central school in a state called Himachal Pradesh where I was based and my father was now suddenly posted and say, you need, now you need to report to a place down south and I'm in the middle of school, four months in, 
I could still move and still continue my schooling in another class in the south of India. Sounds fascinating, but then, you know, what does it do to you, right? And so about those schools, the folks in central schools were, again, a mixed bag, right? People would come from different parts. And so you would have people speaking different languages. Almost everyone spoke Hindi, but everyone did not. And so you could see groups at a very young age being created based on a common language that people spoke. That was the kind of school that I went to, where, you know, you would have groups of people speaking Telugu, you'd have groups of people. And so you would automatically create your groups based on the language you spoke. And so you would have to make an extra effort to be part of those groups. That was always the case. Every time you move to a particular region, you would see a lot of people from that region, majority of them speaking that language. And then you wouldn't know that language because I've moved to that place. And then you would know Hindi. So very few people would speak Hindi. So you'd make friends with those few. But if you wanted to be part of that other group, you'd have to make a lot of effort. Um, very much like how uh, an immigrant have, has to make effort when they move to another country. There's no difference. You know, interestingly, I remember that we were posted down south in Chennai and they spoke Tamil, a different South Indian language, right? And then my mother tongue and I spoke Telugu. And all the North Indian folks assumed, right, I could speak Tamil. And they were really surprised I couldn't just because I was from the south of India. So there is that angle to language as well, where, for example, people in the north of India do not realize that the south of India has four distinct languages because there are four distinct large states, four or five. All of them have different languages. And the assumption is that because you're from the south of India, you can speak that language, which is not at all true. It's not even like a dialect. It's just a completely different language. And so things like this makes people, you know, it, it makes difficult the process of assimilation. There was a perfect example. I moved, when I moved to Hyderabad, I moved to my graduation. Uh, I should have been so comfortable being in my own hometown, right? You would expect that, ah, you know, you come back now, you should be comfortable. It's your own place. But then I was now this Hindi speaking person, right? Because I, I was so comfortable speaking in Hindi. Uh, there's a national language because all central schools spoke Hindi. So I always spoke Hindi. Uh, my Hindi is much better than my Telugu, which is my, you know, my mother tongue, my, the, the language of the state. There are a lot of times when I spoke, I was made fun of. And that really got me thinking, where do I really belong? Where is it? Like, And that's why I was saying that language for me played a very important part of my journey. Because that sort of... Because it made me wonder, like, if I'm in the north of India and I'm traveling and people are like, how can a South Indian speak such good language? And now in my hometown, someone says, but you're not from here, right? You, you speak Hindi. Then where do I really belong, right? I'm, I'm judged for speaking this language, my own language. I'm also judged for not being able to speak it well. So then, you know, it becomes that much more difficult to assimilate. But then, you know, it coming from my friends didn't matter. It came with banter. But, you know, when it came from people who are not very close, you know, it, it did come pretty sarcastically at times as well. Well, it's okay. I think, I mean, I and again, because I was younger, I never took things to my heart. Thank God I was younger. And I think that if I had to go back and make those journeys today, I would never be able to. Because as, I mean, if someone told me, you know, Vikram, you got to go back and you got to go into a transferable job and move places every two to three years. I don't think I'd be able to do that. 
I was able to do that because you're a child, you're a kid, you're growing up, you are flexible, you're malleable, and you're not, you still don't have like a fully developed mind to think about all these aspects. And I think that's a great boon any kid or child has when they're moving. And I think that's why it's important that you be on that journey young enough to go through all of those things because one, you can handle it. And two, it gives you perspective and those and you just don't realize it. It just happens as you grow up. After high school, Vikram's nomadic life continued. He moved to different states in India for his postgraduate studies and work. He then married his wife, a woman with whom he speaks in English or Hindi because they come from different states. Together, they would move to the U.S. and Canada to begin their real, quote-unquote, immigrant life. He shares his stories. I was working in a company based in India, so work was mostly outsourced work that I was coordinating from the U.S. So because the timings are different, typically I was one of those guys who was on-site I was referred to as the on-site coordinator then because you're the common thread between the client that you're working for and the guys who are working for the client in India and you're the guy who's trying to bridge the gap. And I think, again, if we go into this topic of you know race a bit, because it was sort of so focused on outsourcing, I think that there is an intersection there between outsourcing, the culture of outsourcing and racism. And I think you've got to be a little wary of that because if you think about it, labor is considered cheap. Uh, I shouldn't use the word cheap. Let me take that word back. It should be less expensive. And in such situations, you know, there is an issue of fair treatment. And I think people often disregard this when people are expected to work unreasonable hours in India. Um, you know, that becomes an issue. No one thinks about that. You know, just because it's outsourced work, you would expect people in their back home to work beyond their work hours, right? I never thought of that. And I was just doing it. when I, I myself did it. And then I was like, but this is not fair. And of course, then you must work with stereotypes, right? Uh, because if I'm an Indian origin, I would know how to write code. Or because I'm Asian, I'm intelligent, so I can deliver work faster than others. So there are these stereotypes that you have to work with. And it's amazing because you have to, and again, these are the challenges that you can deal with more easily if you've had the experience of having migrated to different environments. Because when you run into these these challenges, you almost almost forget about the fact that you're you're in a new place. Those are problems that you don't have to worry about anymore. I mean, though you've dealt with those. But then again, you know, I was also getting used to this new place and new work culture and everything. And for me, the language bias has continued, right? It's for me, this whole language-driven bias that people have, it sort of continued, right? You know, I always think about this story and I always try to delve deeper every time people talk about language bias. I recollect a meeting at the office and I stepped out of the meeting room to talk to my wife on the phone after the meeting got over. And it was, uh, it was one of my wife's colleagues. She overheard me speaking in English to my wife. And she, she I think, figured that I was talking to my wife. And so after it was done, she came and said, oh, but you're so polite, Vikram. You don't have to talk to your wife in English on the phone just because we are around. I initially took that as a compliment, 
and then i had to tell her that my wife and i spoke different indian languages at home and so we always communicated in english because you know that is all we had to comfortably communicate with each other and later when i thought about it i was like people have these stereotypes in mind without understanding context i think that's why context is so important if i have not invested my time knowing you then i will only invest my time judging you and and there is a fine line right you cannot delve into personal spaces some people don't take it well people like us do we love to tell our stories we're okay with people asking us questions about our personal lives but i do when I, for example when i'm interviewing folks for jobs today i do sort of sometimes tend to understand their personal backgrounds a bit because their answers may make more sense than to you even though they're you know very skill based and that's why i think the understanding context is important because i think that's what leads to microaggressions as we call it vikram and his wife currently live in canada as permanent residents with their daughter we bought a first home eventually after having lived here for a year or two and i also felt at least on paper it sort of felt that it was like the culmination of our immigrant journey you know at some point i think that had to end right after all the moving and everything that i had to do in life but like i said one thing we always felt about uh we feel about ourselves my wife and i you know my my, my daughter is obviously born here so i'm pretty sure she's going to be as canadian as a canadian will be she's already showing colors of that but i think uh my wife and i will always be immigrant at hearts and i think that's never going to change never that feeling never goes away so we'll continue to look different we'll continue to sound different that's not going to change you know i recently heard this term there's this term called code switching which we all do and it's everything that we do to fit in and i've done it to everyone does it the accent that comes away just so that folks around can understand us right and then things that we say things that we have to follow sometimes like i used to dread following a game of american football i never liked it but then people told me if you don't if you don't watch american football uh, how are you going to have those off work conversations with your colleagues and so i started watching it but i never found it interesting and that's why i always wonder in all of this in my journey in the us and canada you know i always feel that i i really wish that one thing that we as immigrants do not do is suppress our cultural identities in any which way that's the hope because we do a lot of things to mingle but we shouldn't sort of really look to suppress our cultural identities and we shouldn't look we should also make a you know make sure that it's not suppressed either and i think i always feel that uh, when we move to a new country it's very important that the country makes you feel comfortable as well and i think that's the one part that i felt canada had they sort of respected you you know every country has a, has its history of racism us has had it with you know us continues to have it with black people it goes back decades canadians have had their twist with indigenous people and i think lessons have been learned better here and that's why there is this thing of genuinely inviting people with open arms you know i was telling my wife the other day so we bought this house in canada in 2018 five years now and i was telling her that this day i was telling her this about two months ago that today 
this house becomes the longest I've stayed in one place. Five years. I look back and was thinking about all the places I lived in. I hadn't stayed in one place for more than this period. And I just finished that. That almost made me think, wow, what kind of a nomad was I? I wasn't in one place. But then when I look back, I have this life. And I have all of these things that I've done, all of these things that I've experienced, and they're still all there. And so you're as good as all your memories and your thoughts. That's all that is there to it, right? You know, you're just living physically in a place, but really what you're taking away from your stay or from any of your places that you live in is your memories and your relationships and experiences. You know, that's all, that's all that is there to it, really. Against the background of his experiences, Vikram has the following to say on what he thinks it takes to be anti-racist. I don't know if a lot of people will agree with this view of mine, but anti... So, you know, there has to be dialogue. I feel like when you tend to go on this anti-path, anything, as long as there is dialogue, there is an open dialogue about racism where you and another person who actually believes in race and racism can sit and talk about what their point of view is and what their context is and understand. You can be whatever you want, but unless you have that dialogue, nothing is going to change. You can protest, yes, you can protest, but then you being anti-someone is almost them trying to discriminate against you, right? Unless you understand that context. And so it's almost like a left versus right conversation where leftist says, I'm not going to listen to anything that the right says, right? I'm a liberal. But then if you're a liberal, you got to spend some time listening to the other person, right? Uh, so I think it's the same. Like for me, it's good to be anti-racist, but you need to make the time and effort to have the dialogue to understand why is it that you're doing this? Or why is it that a particular stance is being followed? And then you put forward your view on why it's not correct to that other person, right? I think that's very important. The dialogue is important. You can find more information about race-related issues in India, as well as other articles, books, and videos Vikram recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you next month on March 6th. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Music by Pete Morse, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. This podcast is powered by the Competence Center for Diversity and Inclusion at the University of St. Gallen. A warm thank you to Vikram for his time and energy in going down memory lane for us and sharing with us thought-provoking stories and reflections on this issue.